Okay, everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Killer Frogs Cafe. I'm Wes Phelan, and I've got a special guest with me today. Uh, he and I are probably the old timers around here. I've been, I got out in 73 and have been around since the 50s watching TC football. And this gentleman sitting across the table from me has been, uh, been here almost as long, Ross Bailey. Thanks for coming on with us today. Glad to be here. You bet. Well, you've had quite a career. You came here from a, from Dallas. What what got you into coming to TCU? Well, I, I, I laugh uh, if we can say this. I had a high school football coach that told me I failed to mass the ass theory. I didn't have enough mass on my ass to, to be a center. And I, I wasn't quick enough to do anything else. I could deep snap. Uh, and he said, I need a, a student trainer. And so I became a student trainer, and then I couldn't hit the curveball. Uh, and so a career in athletic training was born. Well, you're I couldn't even see the curveball, so you're <laughs> farther along than I am. Well, that's interesting. So you're a trainer here back in the in the 70s under the great Earl Brown. I remember him. And, it's, yep. and uh, those were some, uh, some interesting times back then. And then you came uh, after a period in between Elmer and, and uh, the time you were brought on as a head trainer. You, you had a transitional guy, and uh, you, you were the head trainer. That was pretty big jump for you. And well, it, it, it was a, a quick big jump. I was 23 years old. Uh, I had just completed my master's degree. Uh, I had a, a situation where some, some illness and a, another gentleman sort of forced me into the, the role during the year uh, and at the end of that year somewhere halfway in between I think Mr. Windeer and, and Abe Martin said tag you're it tag you're it and so uh, we took it and, and ran with a, a first year head coach in F.A. Dry and myself and uh, managed to uh, to keep doing that for a, really a full career it's really interesting. Has there been a lot of changes in the, and I guess the, the Gibney basket weave is the primary oh, wrap man. you put on. Is there any changes in technique or or, or equipment? I know there's been equipment, but uh, well, I think I think some of the biggest changes that have happened in sports medicine through the years uh, have been the diagnostics. Diagnostics. Uh, you know, now I think the, the sports medicine people would tell you their their philosophy is to say we know rather than we think. Right. Uh, I, I look back in the early days, uh, we were, we did some innovative things, you know, when somebody would have a, a medial collateral ligament fixed in their knee and we don't really fix them anymore. We would cut a window in the cast so we could put electrical stem in and try to keep those muscles from atrophying. Yeah. And that was, that was state of the art taking a real big step, uh, out there and now like I said, that injury either doesn't get fixed or is a uh, about a month long uh, type of thing to get over. Back then, if you had a medial meniscus and a, a medial collateral ligament injury, you, you were probably done for the year. Mm. Uh, and so the, the changes in arthroscopy for the orthopedic surgeons, diagnostics, um, you know, we laughed, we, there's a, a term that's used in rehab called closed kinetic chain, which means your your foot or your hand, something like that, is uh, connected to the ground. 
and so you're closing the kinetic chain and you, so you're working every muscle as you come up the the limb and we were running steps and running ramps and hills and those kind of things back along the way we just didn't know that it was that innovative at the time we just knew it worked yeah yeah uh and so boy i look back with with pride now on the young people that are in our athletic training majors program here at tcu those kids are so much smarter yeah uh, and have such a better academic background uh, than we did at the same time we used to have to figure out how to make a uh, how to make a forearm pad out of a uh, piece of cardboard and maybe some foam rubber and a little duct tape and, and <laughs> a, a, a little tape moleskin uh, and if you put those things in front of a kid now they wouldn't know what to do with them they're, oh, gosh, no. they're used to going to the shelf pulling off the forearm pad uh, wrapping it on the arm and, and go and so uh, I, I was at a time in athletic training where there was a, a lot of innovation coming through uh, there was a great separation of the old guys the Elmer Browns the Ken Murray uh, Frank Medina at Texas Billy Pickard at Texas A&M some of those guys that were had been there in the infancy when it started in, in the early 50s and they took us under their wings mm-hmm. and, and educated us and and now it's to the point where we've got a separate staff of educators here at the university and our we've got an intercollegiate staff that take care of the, the athletes and then we've got an educational staff uh, and they mix and mingle but uh, the kids get so much more of a focused education now but I think sometimes they, they lose some of the the common sense or the innovation part that had to come before them to make all that happen. Yeah, because you tend to take it all for granted now. And I, I can remember a student here having the opportunity to go in and look in the old training room over there. And it was a small room with a couple of tables and a little cabinet with all your tape and everything. And nowadays you've got uh, a, a, a treadmill underwater. You've got all these different uh, therapies that you can do. and, and uh, ways to treat people and it's just staggering and I, some of these new kids coming in today don't know <laughs> you know you know they only know what we have today and never thought about what uh like you said all the things that were there and the innovation that had to go in and to get us to this point so yeah x-ray around the corner you know the physicians have portable ultrasound devices so they can do diagnostics right in the training room uh it has really saved the the student athlete and the staff yeah tremendous time um, and it it helps everybody make better decisions as to what to do for the, the student athletes' health care and what's best for them. Yeah, and I can remember you talking about the advances and things. And I I, uh, I had my first surgery when I was in seventh grade. I tried to do something stupid with an eight pound shot put and tried to snap a curve off with it, which as you know doesn't work. Snapped off my elbow, and I have had the surgery. And the reason it's I can't straighten it now is because they did the surgery, they cut me open um, and sewed me up. I was in the hospital for a week. Today I'd be in by eight and out by 12, you know, so, uh, and arthroscopically, but I had a big, big scar there and my physical therapy was literally to take a tennis ball and squeeze it. That was it. Yep. 
And nowadays, you know, you go through about six weeks of intense physical therapy. It's straight. You're gone. You're good to go, and you never look back. But uh, my gosh, I think about today and what what they do, and it's just it's it's amazing. Well, golly, the, the advances in total joint replacements and uh, you know the the next the next horizon yeah. that I see is it's what I call the biochemistry that occurs inside the joint because they've. They've got the erector set part of it down pretty well. Right. Uh, the biomechanics and the, the putting you back together, they handle. Wow. Now, now what happens to the biochemistry that occurs inside that joint when they go and invade it with a scope and invade that pristine environment with a, a an external fluid so that they can can scope the joint or whatever, and it's. It's going to be getting that back to normal, right? And, and getting that back to an optimum level of of healing that uh, I think is the the horizon we're going to see in the future. Interesting. Wow. Well, I can't wait to see. I hope I don't have to go through it, but you, you given my history, I probably will. So. You and me both. Yeah, I think we both got uh, gold cards to Harris Hospital. Probably. Oh, I'm telling you what, because every time I've had something, I've called you up and said, who's the best guy for knees or elbows or shoulders? And, you know, you've always been kind enough to let me know. Uh, moving on, though. Now, when Eric Hyman was here as AD, he promoted you to associate athletic director. Is that correct? For That's facilities. Correct. Were you still doing some training? Facilities and operation. I tried to do both for a year. Too much. And uh, I don't know whether it was Mr. Hyman or my wife or a combination of both that said, this is too much. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I was asked to, you know, to kind of go one way or the other. Uh, I'd had a pretty good career in athletic training. And I thought, well, you know, let's try something different. Absolutely. Uh, and so I put on my hard hat and got on the building side of things and Whew, we hadn't slowed down since. Yeah, and it's unusual to not see you with a hard hat on, but I guess construction is kind of slowing down in athletics well, right we're, now. Well, we're just it? to the point where uh, we don't have to wear them right now. Yeah, yeah. I guess once you wrap up the offices in the Shellmeyer, and I guess they're reconstructing a little bit over here in the Justin Center. We're, we're doing a... Uh, renovation. A renovation in the lobby of the Justin Center, which will become a football recruiting space. Mm -hmm. as And then the uh, part of the football staff will take over the athletic wing right as the as mr del conte and his staff move over into the new showmire arena and their offices we're building those right now remodeling offices for the uh for the basketball coaches so both those will wrap up mid to late summer and got some volleyball work going on right now so enough to keep us busy yeah, enough to keep you busy well, that's interesting um so what uh Tell me about your, your family. You've got your wife, Mary, and your two daughters. Two daughters. Uh, Lauren uh, is our oldest. She's married here in the area. We've got a, a grandchild, 11-month-old baby, grandbaby boy. Oh, good for you. Uh, that's fun. He's uh, he's just kind of that point now where he looks at you and smiles. And You've taught him how to have, throw the frog, haven't you? Uh, and not quite yet, but uh, the interesting thing there is... Uh, Lauren is teaching him sign language. Really? At 11 months old. Interesting. And so during the last, I had to have him Sunday at the baseball game, and he kept looking at me and putting his hands together, which is the symbol for more. And he wanted more to eat. More to eat. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, that's you hear about these young kids that become bilingual and all this stuff, and so 
uh, Lauren was always interested in sign language yeah growing up and that was her foreign language as it as it was and so she's teaching him how to sign early interesting uh, and so we'll we'll see how he progresses on through it as a, a toddler well I think that's fantastic and you know that's a skill like you said it's a foreign language and it's a it's a it's a way of communicating to people that uh, that can't normally communicate and I think one of the most touching things I ever saw was sitting there at Kewlin Mall one day way back in the 70s and they had Santa there and uh, I you know of course the kids come up and sit in Santa's lap with this one young man came her boy came up there and sat down and Santa was signing to him and I thought it dawned on me it never occurred to me before that my gosh you know these kids that are have hearing problems how do they tell Santa what they want? But this kid was able to, and the kid, Santa was able to talk back to him. And I, I think it's a small thing, but it was such a touching thing to me to to see that happen. And uh, good for your good for Absolutely. your grandson. That's, yep. a, that's a great thing. Yeah, great thing. Courtney, our uh, our youngest, that was the the showgirl with the big smile and the high kick. She's uh, she's graduated and is now a special ed resource teacher over in Richardson. Good for her. Marry a football coach. Married a football coach. Uh, of all things in my life. So, <laughs> uh, great kid. And, uh, yeah, so they're over there enjoying themselves. Now, are you still doing training for the rodeo? You know, I still am part of the Justin Sports Medicine program in my free time. In your free time. <laughs> well, little there is. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's a giving back. I kind of grew up in a rural environment to some extent before we moved to Dallas. And, and so rodeo was always something that I either participated in or, or knew people that did. And right. So it's a chance to, to give back. You know, it's a whole network of, of athletic trainers and physicians across the country that nobody takes a dime in pay. Huh. It's a, it's a total voluntary program. Interesting. Justin covers some of the expenses for tape and supplies and, and travel a little bit here and there. But as far as professional services, it's everybody's giving it back yeah I don't know what I'd dislike more having a 350 pound lineman bowl me over or bull I just both are gonna hurt so <laughs> that, that 1800 pound farm animal with horns uh, probably lay out pretty becomes good. a pretty good linebacker yeah yeah <laughs> if Gary probably wished he had a few of those on the team last year so well yeah, it's interesting so what uh, what do you see in the future here what uh, we got any new projects coming up down well, the line, maybe? Well, you know, we, I think you're going to see us uh, potentially slow down a little bit in the athletic department. Uh, Building-wise, we've just about got it done. Mm -hmm. uh, just built the new sand volleyball courts. We're building uh, locker rooms for the volleyball teams right now over at the Student Recreation Center area. Uh, just resurfaced the track. We'll probably address uh, track locker rooms somewhere in the near future. Uh, and then see if there's any sport expansion on the way, you know, after that that gets us into further down our, our pathway of Title IX compliance. Right. Um, those decisions about what what do we add will uh, 
you know, as I say, in the Army, be made at a, a pay grade higher than mine. Right. But I think whatever it is will be a great fit for the university. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think if you took a poll, you know what the answer would be, women's softball. So that's, uh, I think a couple of years ago when Del Conte announced they're going to had a new women's sport. Everybody got excited about softball, and then he hits it with beach volleyball, and we were going, there's no beach around here. <laughs> you know, what are we talking about? But actually, it's pretty exciting. And, uh, I've talked to Coach Peterson, and he's a great guy, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching a few of their matches. I guess we got one this weekend, don't we? We've got, well, I think they're on the road this weekend. Oh, they? They're in Hawaii. Okay, that's Tough right. places to have to go play beach volleyball. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go play on the beach in Hawaii. Uh, but a great new facility here for them on campus. Uh, I think their locker rooms are going to be dynamite because we're we're kind of building them with a as much of an open concept, so they'll flow either right to the the indoor courts or, or right to the outdoor courts. Uh, and then as as we move forward from there, you're going to see that the the director and the trustees will select a sport somewhere along the way that I think will be a great fit. Good deal. Good deal. Well, it has been fun as somebody who's been here for a long time, as you have been, you know, to see the facilities we have today and uh, compared to what we had in the past, it's just been remarkable. Well, people, want to, remarkable. people want to talk about the good old days, but these are the good old days. These are the good old days. I, I, I did read one interesting story you talked about when they were getting ready to tear down the old Emma Carter and you came upon a little alcove in there that had been covered up and you pulled it off and there were leather helmets and old leather cleats in there yeah uh square square cleated shoes uh about half a dozen leather helmets and they were in this little uh closet that was behind the boiler room and so that i mean that building had a big boiler in it just to provide heat mm -hmm. for the building and it had had a pinhole leak in the steam pipe that ran through this room probably forever. Mm -hmm. And we, we got kind of temporarily excited about seeing this stuff on the shelf. And then when you literally, when you touched it, it just crumbled oh, no. to, to nothingness uh, because of the, you know, that, that environment had been hot, moist, so mold, whatever it is that eats up leather, had just gotten in there. And of course, the thing that, that people don't realize about the old leather helmets as it was, was they were leather. And they had uh, open cell foam rubber, what there was, uh, padding inside of it. So all that stuff just absorbed sweat and bacteria and moisture. Uh, through the years, and so, yeah. If, if you don't condition leather, it's gonna. These things were literally right. just shells of what they were because they they've been eaten up through the years. Oh goodness! Uh, so just crumbled, and uh, it was a temporary find. Yeah, it's one of those momentary items. Wow. Yeah, look at that, uh, and it's all gone. But we, you know, we didn't find many other treasures. Uh, we knew where most of them were beforehand. All right. Did you find any other treasures in there? But uh... yeah, we really didn't. We we took uh, we took all the old film uh, that had been just stacked up in the stadium for years and years, and had it converted into uh, DVDs, which at the time was the most stable 
medium to to put those into. Sure. Uh, but even then, we didn't have full sets of of film. That that stuff unfortunately wasn't archived the way things would be archived now. Right. Uh, you know, through the years. So. Yeah, it's it's something people don't always think about, but film, old photographs have got to be archived properly. Mm-hmm. And I learned that lesson the hard way with some old pictures of my grandfather. But uh, yeah, you've got to take care of them. And um, the important thing is for photographs to digitize them as soon as you can, and right? Then, and save those hard copies and put them in archival paper and acid-free paper and storage, and they'll last forever. Well, when we got ready to to do the stadium, one of the things that Actually, the site superintendent and I were really hot to trot on was a time capsule. Mm. And having never done one, we both thought, okay, we're going to get some great big PVC pipe. uh, And we'll put all this stuff in this PVC pipe and bury it in a wall. Well, uh, come to find out, the PVC pipe would off gas mm. and it, it wasn't as airtight as we thought um, and so it would have destroyed anything that was inside inside of it so uh, we talked the mechanical engineering company into making us this big stainless steel tube uh, and packed it full of stuff and silicone the the lid on and bolted it down and so who knows whether it's 30 years from now 50 years from now 100 years from now whenever somebody decides to tear into the stadium there the time capsule will be and they won't miss it it's about four feet tall and a couple feet in diameter so wow now have you got it marked in there where it's where we've it got is? it marked on, on a wall with a plaque uh and it won't be hard to get to interesting you know stuff in there like cell phones Andy Dalton's jersey from the Rose Bowl uh, a DVD and a program from the Rose Bowl uh, a pair of Nike shoes I think that we got some Justin boots in there just a, a whole lot of different TCU memorabilia that we could part with and hey why put not? in there it'll be fun for somebody. <laughs> I guess you mentioned cell phones. It'd be interesting to see what the reaction would be 30 or 50 or 100 years from now. Because I know what mine, if you, if some of these kids today saw cell phones when you and I were growing up, the, the ones are size of a brick and weighed about as much. And <laughs> uh, we had we had two or three for the whole department, Wes. And if you if you're going on a trip, you had to check it out from the business manager. Uh, <laughs> you know. And it, it, it cost so much per minute. Yeah. There weren't any data plans, or nobody even knew what a data plan was back then. You were just hoping you could make a, a phone call. I had a beeper at an old company that uh, we had to share. So, <laughs> you know, and nobody knows what a beeper is these days. I mean, that's, that's, that's like a Model T. Well, listen, Ross, I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thank you, Wes. Enjoy it. It's been interesting, and uh, thank you. Go Frogs. There you go.